This morning we get to spend a little time with one of the most influential stories in the Bible. One of the most portrayed in art, one of the most interpreted, and probably one of the most misunderstood. Adam and Eve. There is so much we think that is here in this story that isn't there at all. The text doesn't say anything about the serpent being Satan or even evil. Since the story does say that Eve is the first one to take a bite of the fruit, women have been blamed for sin and death entering the world. And on a closer look, it does say that God only tells Adam to not eat from the tree, although we can see that (laughs) Adam did pass on the information later at some point. Maybe God should have spoken directly to Eve. No. But God does not destroy Adam and Eve when they eat the fruit, even though God had warned them that they would die that very day. It doesn't even say the fruit is an apple. But due to the layers and layers history and tradition have put on top of this story, we miss what actually is in the story, namely a garden, a beautiful garden. The Garden of Eden literally means the Garden of Delight, a place of sensuality, provision, beauty, and communion. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But what most of us think when we hear this story is not a sensual, harmonious garden beginning, but our minds go right away to the fall. And the thing is, there's nothing in the book of Genesis about the fall or even original sin. These are interpretations and doctrines that developed centuries later. And we even see some of this in our reading from Paul today, which is his interpretation of this story in Genesis. And he was influenced by those who came before him, of course. Brian McLaren, our guest and preacher from last weekend, who launched our Lenten theme, Falling in Love, has taken a good look at Adam and Eve. When he was with us last weekend, he mentioned that the notion of the fall is more of a Greek overlay onto the Jewish story. In Greek philosophy, there was an ideal plane of existence up here. It was static and pure and changeless. It's where the gods lived. And humanity exists in the fallen realm that is chaotic and unpredictable, imperfect. So when the Greeks read the story of the Garden of Eden, they of course saw what fit into their worldview. They saw the garden as this perfect realm, even though the biblical text says nothing about it being perfect. Perfect is unchangeable, pure, but a garden is creative, changing, a little messy. But we have inherited this Greco-Roman interpretation in which we have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, a perfect state of existence. And when they eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, they fall out of this perfect realm and into the messy world. At the end of this life full of darkness and change and unpredictability, we either escape back up to the perfect changeless state or we are condemned to eternal torment, another changeless state. But Brian points out that this understanding of the story, which we don't question because it's so baked into what we've inherited, is much more Greek than Jewish. God called the garden good, not perfect. And this is an important distinction. As Brian points out, Jewish good is better than Greek perfect. 
So instead of thinking of this as a fall, perhaps we are encouraged to think of this myth as a coming-of-age story in which the tree of knowledge and even the serpent were also created by God. And yes, Adam and Eve disobeyed, but in a way, they had to. And the tempting bite of the apple is an inevitable step in humanity's development. The first teller of this story might have been saying that God is pushing Adam and Eve out of the nest so that they can learn and grow into the people they were meant to be. Maybe that's why this story got the title, The Fall. We can't fall away from God or out of God. When we fall, we fall more deeply into God who is right here, holding the whole thing. It gives new meaning to the term falling in love, doesn't it? We are falling in love all the time. Adam and Eve didn't ruin anything. The experiment didn't fail. They fell out of the nest and into love and into the next stage on their journey. The author John Philip Newell asks us to think of this more as an exile than a fall. He says that the Garden of Eden is not a place in space and time in which we are separated. It is the deepest dimension of our being from which we live in a type of exile. Eden is home but we live far removed from it. This Lent, Trinity is focusing on falling in love or falling back in love with the garden as a way out of our unconscious but self-imposed exile. We were made to delight in creation. We were made for it. Last summer, I was camping in Yosemite with my family. And while I was biking across a beautiful meadow, I glanced up at the massive cliffs with waterfalls pouring out of them. And something made me turn the other direction, and I noticed a long line of cars slowly entering the park. And what made me stop in my tracks wasn't the staggering beauty on all sides of me. It was the look on the people's faces as they entered the park. I saw such awe and wonder and delight on their faces. They were so wonderstruck by the majesty of the Yosemite Valley that car after car had to stop, creating quite a traffic jam. And children unbuckled their seatbelts and piled into the front seat and rolled down the windows. And the look on their faces brought me to tears, much more than the beauty soaring above me. Can you remember a moment like this when something called you to Wake up. When you were awakened into some kind of recognition, a birth, a vigil at a bedside, a time in nature. When you woke up to something new yet recognizable. And in that moment, we are out of exile. We are back in Eden, reconnected to the garden. The story of our ancestors may have begun in a garden, but it ends in a desert, in exile. Not only the exile of the Israelites from their homeland, but also a general exile of humanity from our connection to God. And we as a human species are experiencing deep exile right now from our natural world and also from the deeper divine image we carry at our core. It's like we're in a deep sleep, 
Like Adam and Eve, we aren't respecting the boundaries to living life on this planet, and we want to be like gods without limits. And we are seeing the result of living this way. It's not just climate change. Our anxiety levels are on the rise. It has become an epidemic among our teenagers. And as if our political climate and other global crises aren't stressful enough, we are now inundated with warnings of a deadly virus. Anxiety is in the air. And so now more than ever, we are called to take a pause, to take a deep breath, and turn to the antidote to this anxiety and fear and sense of exile. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, the first humans were given their vocation. They were told to till and to keep the garden. And these words in Hebrew could also be the words worship and serve. We were made to worship and serve the garden. This is more than creation care, knowing that we should take care of creation and preserve it. This is a shift in relationship. This is a falling in love. That's what we are being invited into. So what shifts can we make in our lives for this to be possible? What space can we open up? What Lenten practices? So that we might wake up to the courtship that is taking place. God is yearning to draw us back into communion, calming our anxiety, and pointing us in the direction of our wholeness, for ourselves, for each other, and for the planet. Brian's workshop last weekend was about the simple power of loving the world. He quoted author Marilyn Robinson, who asks, what single thing would make the world in general a better place? loving it more. Some of us are taking a few minutes each day to sit in quiet observance of something in the natural world, something right outside our front door, and allowing ourselves to open to it, to just be present to it. We're trying to gaze upon the object with love, not analyzing it or thinking about it, but just loving it. And then drawing the lens back enlarging the aperture, and imagining God observing us, observing the object. God loving us as we love creation. It's a new way of seeing and being for just a few minutes. I invite you to join us if you feel led this Lent. Today after church, we have a special guest from the Chumash community. The indigenous people understand this communion with the natural world in a way many of us don't. And yet their community is experiencing a kind of exile as well, an exile from their old ways and deep worth. There has been such wounding from how they experienced exile by the colonizers many years ago and in other ways today. We all need each other to find our way back home to the garden, to Eden, which is still here calling to us. The jasmine and the pittosporum are in bloom, making the night air intoxicatingly fragrant. The harbor seals are having pups on the beach in Carpinteria. The frogs and toads are singing loudly in the creeks. Wildflowers are popping up between cracks in the sidewalks. 
we are being courted by our creator. And if we take the time to just be, we might fall in love a little bit. And I know the ripples will indeed make a difference in our hearts and in the world. Amen.